Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. So we're doing this episode from our mobile studio because we have a house full of guests and uh, right now there's a farting competition going on. So probably best that we move out to the, uh, the mobile studio. Yeah, it's loud and we don't have a place to put the dogs where they won't snortle directly into our faces. Right. So it gets a, uh, it's a little rough. Not to mention, there's that horrible situation in the refrigerator right now that we still need to address. I don't know why you're allowing it to continue on the way it has been. I tried to alert you to this situation, and yet you still are are leaving it. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand you. You are not the person to be criticizing me for leaving food in the refrigerator. If I recall, you made a hearty stew and left it in there so long, I had to take the pot out into the woods and throw the pot away. That was my birthday present, was That's that right. you dealt with the old stew. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Um, I threw out the stew. Yeah, but I mean, at least mine wasn't made of vomit. What are you so. talking about? Vomit bits. Oh, yeah. Cat has this uh, unnatural dislike for olives. They're gross. She calls them vomit bits. In fact, she actually took the label off the jar of olives and relabeled it vomit bits. No, that's how it came. It you just not. didn't notice. You just <laughs> didn't did notice not. that that's how they were sold now. Uh, all right. I go first this episode. Let me ask you this. Is this all there is? Is the way we perceive things how they really are? The answer would be no. Yeah, I think no. It's it's pretty obviously no. Years ago, I was watching uh, Cosmos, the original one, with Carl, Carl Sagan, Sagan, which, mm. gosh, I, I, I could him. sit there and just watch it over and over and over again. It's like 
He's like Mr. Rogers. He's just very comforting. Yeah, he's like uh, Einstein meets Mr. Rogers. Yes, that's exactly how I picture him. Well, he he was talking about, in one of the episodes, the Flatland hypothesis. Now, Flatland was a satirical novella written by an English schoolmaster. His name was Edwin Abbott Abbott. I love that. It was first published in 1844 by Seeley and Company of London. Mm-hmm. All my information is coming from Wikipedia, Quora, and Flutopia. Okay. The book used the fictional two-dimensional world of Flatland to comment on uh, the hierarchy of Victorian culture, but the book's most enduring contribution is its examination of dimensions mm-hmm. and how we perceive dimensions. The story describes a two-dimensional world occupied by geometric figures. The narrator is a square, and he guides the readers through the implications of life in two dimensions. Mm-hmm. They can perceive forward, backward, left, right, but there is no such thing as up and down. Now, he's visited in the book by a three-dimensional sphere, and the sphere levitates him up to spaceland, where he perceives flatland from a third-dimensional perspective. I recognize that at this point, some people might have checked out because <laughs> it's confusing. It's hard to think of things in 2D when we live in 3D and and that's what we understand to be reality. Right. Um, so this is an exercise in making your brain do something it doesn't want to do to open yourself to the possibility that maybe 3D isn't even the real thing. Well, let me let me explain it the way Carl Sagan explained it to me. Okay. In the episode of Cosmos. Flatland, picture a piece of paper. That is flatland. There's a left, there's a right, there's a uh, a forward and a backward, but there's no up and down. There right. are creatures living on this page. How they perceive things are very, very differently from how we perceive things. As a three-dimensional creature looking down on flatland, as Carl Sagan said, if you try to insert a three-dimensional object into a two-dimensional plane, their perception of it is very different. And what he did was he took an apple and he put it in an ink pad, and then he put the apple on the paper. And you just saw these little dots where the apple touched the paper. That's how these creatures in the mythical land of Flatland would perceive the apple, just these little points that touched the two-dimensional plane. Because there's no there's a, no such thing as height. There's no such thing as height. There's no such thing as below. There's, right. It's, it doesn't exist. Okay. So how would these, how would they perceive that? What would be their, expl- they would think it's some sort of paranormal activity. They would think of it as some sort of a, a unexplained phenomenon because clearly it would be from their perspective. What if... As you were standing over Flatland, you saw a little creature scurrying around. You said, hey, how's it going? They would freak the fuck out because they'd be hearing voices and there would be it would be coming from nowhere. It would be perceived as coming from within them. So they would think I'm going crazy. Uh, I'm being possessed. Maybe it's a ghost. Maybe it's a god. I don't know. They couldn't possibly understand it. I see what you're doing here. Do you? (laughs) In the book Flatland. The sphere from the third dimension pulls the two-dimensional creature up into the three-dimensional realm, or spaceland, as they call it in the book. So he's floating above what he sees as his reality. Right. And I couldn't help but think, you know, when when we die, you know, you you, you hear about these near-death experiences. It sounds really similar to me. It must have been very much like an out-of-body experience for this two-dimensional creature to be pulled up into the third-dimensional plane. 
Then Carl Sagan goes on to take it up to the next dimension. As we sit here in our three-dimensional space, how would we perceive something that was inserted into our 3D space that came from the fourth dimension? How would we perceive that? Would we perceive it as paranormal activity? Would we perceive it as a ghost? Would we perceive it as a god? How would we perceive it? We wouldn't perceive it the way that it actually was, clearly, because our senses are limited. Right. It's like um, I can remember in uh, What the Bleep, when um, they're talking about the Native Americans seeing the ships coming uh, from the horizon and they didn't have any understanding or knowledge of ships of what these enormous things were so they didn't see them no they couldn't see them because they had no frame of reference the ships were coming over the horizon and all they could see was just the water moving they couldn't see the ships because they had never seen them before they didn't they had no frame of reference. The human brain is a weird thing. I don't recall um, where that's referenced. Like how I'm, I like if I wanted to look that up, where would I look? I'd have to go watch, rewatch What the Bleep, I guess. <laughs> what the Bleep also dealt with Flatland as well. Right. Dr. Fred Wolf. He calls himself Dr. Quantum. He, he dealt with it in, uh, in the What the Bleep. And much more succinctly than I am, by the way. <laughs> but now what is the fourth dimension? Well, most of the time it's described as time. 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 Time is the fourth dimension. And according to the Quora website, we're living in a three-dimensional world possessing length, width, and height. So we are unable to see the fourth dimension as our physical world is constructed within these three physical dimensions only. We might feel or imagine time's presence, but we can never actually detect it with our three-dimensional senses because it extends beyond our universe. We can perceive time, the fourth dimension, as memories lodged at different intervals with the result we perceive time moving forward in one direction. A demonstration of four-dimensional space-time's inseparability is the fact that we cannot look into space without looking back into time. Like when we look at the moon, we're seeing the moon as it was 1.2 seconds ago. Right. Or the sun as it was 8 minutes ago. Right. Or a quasar as it was 17 million years ago, or whatever the case may be. Ooh, I'd never thought about it in that way. So if the fourth dimension is time, Mm -hmm. and we're in the third dimension, we're just perceiving the tip of the apple. Right. So time is not what we think it is. No. And I think, you know, we've watched a lot of movies um, exploring this concept, um, that, that time is certainly not linear. It's just that's the only way that our tiny little dumb dumb brains can handle The concept of it. Our understanding of reality is very limited. It's limited to what we can perceive through our eyes, through our our five senses. And throughout history, we have this amazing ability to, for some reason, convince ourselves that what we can perceive is all there is. Yeah, exactly. And we've been proven wrong over and over and over again. Theoretical physicist and author James Fairclear says that, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, Why is it that uh, we think that nothing can exist outside of the three dimensions that that we can can see Mm -hmm. or hear or perceive? The only rational counter-argument would be that the human brain has not evolved to perceive how such further dimensions can exist outside the three observable dimensions. We just don't have the capability. We've not evolved to that point. Right. And 
it's comfortable believing that what we perceive is what's real. It's like the it's like the uh, the light spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum. Now we see colors. We see Roy G. Biv, we see red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. But that is just a small part of the electro electromagnetic spectrum. It goes all the way from extremely low frequency all the way up to gamma rays. And in theory, these are all colors we can't see. X-rays are colors right. that we can't see. I can't see what makes my food hot inside that box in our kitchen. But it's a color. We just can't perceive it. It vibrates at a, at a frequency that our little eyeballs can't perceive. Right. What percentage of the electromagnetic spectrum is, is visible to the human eye? Are you asking me? Take a guess. Ooh, okay. Um, Let me just read through the spectrum here. Okay. It goes extremely low frequency, super low frequency, ultra low frequency, very low frequency, low frequency, medium frequency, high frequency, very high frequency, ultra high frequency, super high frequency, extremely high frequency, far infrared, mid infrared, near infrared, near ultraviolet, extreme ultraviolet, soft x-rays, hard oh. x-rays, and gamma rays. Those are all colors. What percentage of that spectrum is visible to the human eye. Two. Two percent? It depends on where you start and finish the electromagnetic spectrum, but if you if you run through it like I just did, two. We can see about 0.0035%. I was so close. <laughs> no, no. No, you weren't. <laughs> and that just blows my mind that gamma rays are essentially colors that we can't see. Right. With our eyes. It's interesting to note, too, that there are seven visible colors in the spectrum. There are also seven keys in the musical scale. And I've always found that interesting. You know, you've got red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. And then the musical scale, you've got A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Now, according to uh, Flutopia, it's been shown that there is a direct correlation. If you take the note C mm -hmm. and you scale it up 40 octaves, you take like a middle C and scale it up 40 octaves. Obviously, you can't hear it anymore, but you can see it. It's the color green. Interesting. Doesn't that blow your mind? Yes. And of course, I don't understand it. It's the vibration of the frequency. Uh -huh. Now, just as there are different shades of green, there are different shades in the key of C. You know, the C sharp, C flat, C minor, sure. C major, C7. On flutopia.com, there's actually a uh, calculator where you can type in a specific key and it will show you what color it is, scaled up 40 octaves. Well, that's interesting. So you could play a note in the key of seafoam? You could, yes. <laughs> For example, if you took a, a C7, the resonant color of light that is 30, in this case, 38 octaves above uh, C7, and this is according to Flutopia, this color has a wavelength of uh, 521.09 nanometers, uh -huh. which means it's basically a light green. It's just a various shade of green. When you play a C, regardless of it's a, if it's a C sharp or a C flat or whatever, it's just a different shade of green when you scale it up about 40 octaves. Which, um, which note is a wider shade of pale? That was an excellent Procol Harum reference. Thank you. Nicely done. <laughs> But you can, you can go to this website, Flutopia, type in a, a key, it'll, it'll show you what the corresponding color is. And that's fascinating. Sure is. So is everything we see all there is? Clearly not the case. What kind of implication does that have for us? 
It says to me that anybody who says they know the answers 100%, whether it's paranormal, whatever the case may be, I know 100% this is how it actually is, you're mistaken because our pea brains cannot possibly perceive what really is happening. Right. We're going to have to be pulled out of our dimension like the square was in Flatland for us to get a more accurate perspective. How does that happen? We don't even know if it does. But my guess is it ties into out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, that sort of thing. I tend to believe that it would tie more into... Um, that that experience of like a really incredible burrito mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, there's more to there's, life. There's, there's more. Than what I understand because this is. And, and time is like a tortilla. It is. Because you can fold it over because mm-hmm. it's space, time and space. You right? can fold it over and the two ends will touch. Right. Hence, you can time tortilla travel. I'm going to close with a quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes, please. Neil deGrasse Tyson said, we might be living in higher dimensions, but our senses can't tell yet. I loves me some Neil deGrasse Tyson. NDT. P.S. Star Talk. If you have not subscribed to that podcast, it's incredible and I love it and I highly recommend it. The Notorious NDT. And now, that thing in the middle. Today, for that thing in the middle, we're talking about cheap thrift store finds that turned out to be worth thousands. It's the American dream. Number five, a copy of the Declaration of Independence. What? Michael Sparks frequently visited the Music City thrift store in Nashville, and in one of his visits picked up a yellowed shellac rolled up document. Unfurled, he discovered it was the copy. It was a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Oh, is it one of the original 200 copies that John Quincy Adams had had commissioned? It was one of those? It was one that John Quincy Adams had commissioned in 1820, and Sparks paid $2.48 for it. $2.48. Number four, an original Jackson Pollock. Terry Horton paid five bucks for this ugly painting. They actually wanted more, but she negotiated them down from nine. She was offered uh, $9 million for it, and she's turned it down. The painting is now believed to be worth $50 million. I would have given him the full nine bucks for it. I also would have taken the $9 million. <laughs> Number three, a signed Picasso poster. Browsing through a thrift store, Zachary Bodish found quality reproduction that he bought for fourteen fourteen, but when he did a little investigating, he discovered it was a signed poster by Pablo Picasso. Only about a hundred were made, and he had number six. He sold the print for $7,000. Number two, a guy scouring thrift shops for hidden treasures found um, a picture in an old junk box. It was a tin type. When he got it home, he pulled out a magnifying glass and examined one of the photos. He was shocked to recognize the famous outlaw Billy the Kid. It was a picture of Billy the Kid playing croquet. Oh, that's just amazing and delightful. It doesn't say what he paid for it, but uh, it's been appraised at $5 million. And number one, Leroy, a former antiques dealer browsing through Goodwill, found an oil painting that he spotted was in a frame from the 1800s. He paid $3 happily for the painting, hung the picture in his house, 
until Antiques Roadshow came along. You know, it's one of my favorite things in the whole world. Loves me some Antique Roadshow. Do you loves me some? I do. They Almost appra- as much as I loves me some Neil deGrasse Tyson. The painting was appraised for twenty dollars to $30,000. Nice. I'm going to watch Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> the Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. So thanks for letting me use your car today. Uh, one thing, though, when you're done, you should turn the volume down on your radio because uh, your audiobook just about blasted me out of your vehicle. Oh, um, I'll do what I want. Thank you. Okay. What are you listening to, by the way? Yeah, it's my new book on Audible. It's actually, I'm really enjoying it. It's called Pandora's Lab, and it's Seven Stories of Science Gone Wrong by Paul A. Offit, M.D., Super interesting. We're both huge fans of Audible. Did you know every month Audible members get a free credit good for any audiobook that they choose, plus two Audible originals from a changing selection that you cannot get anywhere else? Like, I think, think about that for reals. If someone said to you, hey, every month I'm going to give you a free book, I would be like, I'm going to hang out with you more. (laughs) And there's no better place to listen than Audible, because now Audible members get even more exclusive audio fitness programs, audiobooks, Audible originals, and more. Plus, the books are yours to keep. Once you got them, you got them. That's the thing. Because sometimes you get one, and then you get two or three more, and you think, do I have time to? You have time. You have all the time. So you're thinking, do they have something I would be interested in? Well, they've pretty much got everything. So whether it's uh, business or classics or uh, fiction, history, romance, even uh, erotica, sexuality. What? Yeah. Mysteries, thrillers, sci-fi, fantasy. You can find just about anything you want at Audible. And you can listen directly on your smartphone or your portable device. And what I like about it is it syncs up from one device to another. Shoop. Shoop. Right over. Start your 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash box or text box to 500-500 to get started today. Now that's important. So I'm going to say it again. Start a 30-day trial with your first audiobook free. Free! Audible.com slash box or text box to 500 500. Not only are you going to get a great deal, but you're supporting our podcast. You can do it with audiobooks. Audible.com slash box or text box to 500-500. Come on, join us. It's where all the cool kids are. So you know how my friend got married last month? Mm -hmm. So she had a block of hotel rooms for the guests. And one of the things that she had that I thought made the wedding look so refined and polished and just really tied up nice was little door hangers on each of the guests' hotel room doors. That's a cute idea. It said, like, welcome to our wedding. And it was just the sweetest thing. And it always tied in. It was the same pattern and design as their invitations. And it matched the labels that they had on those water bottles. And that matched the... It was just so cute. Very coordinated. And they had it all done with Vistaprint. That's the same company that we got business cards through. Yeah. So Vistaprint does the amazing business stuff that looks the way that you want it to look. So you say, hey, I'm a serious business person, but also such beautiful, personalized things that just make you feel special. The only thing that's worse than being at a uh, business function and having somebody ask for a business card and you not having one Mm -hmm. is uh, handing them a business card that looks like butt. 
I did get one once that had another phone number scratched out yeah. and there was a new phone number written in. That's and I was just, like, aw, dude. Yeah, come on. Aw, dude. Seriously. Especially when you can get high quality, gorgeous, unique business cards with your own design, with your personally chosen paper stock style and quantity from Vistaprint. When is the best time for you to feel professional? Now! Now is the best time. Feel professional, polished, and prepared when it counts right now. And all it takes to feel like you're ready for the now, 10 bucks. That's a low price to feel confidence. And confidence is such a key part of being professional. I have never paid less than $47 for confidence. And you had to use a coupon for that. So <laughs> right? in this case, Vistaprint is going to give you the best looking business cards you could possibly dream of. They use only carefully selected inks and responsibly sourced paper products, which is important to us. Dozens of designs that are right for your business. You just upload your design or start with one of their professionally designed options. And your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed or they'll make it right, either by reprinting your order or offering a refund because they want you to have the thing that you want to have. And Vistaprint wants you to do something great for your business right now, which is why our listeners will get five high-quality custom business cards starting at $9.99. Use code BOX1 at Vistaprint.com. That's code BOX1 at Vistaprint.com. BOX1 at Vistaprint.com. Well, let me say it. BOX1 at Vistaprint.com. Let's say it together. BOX1 at Vistaprint.com. Oh, we both got real weird there. Let's do it again. Okay. Are you feeling what yeah, I'm, I'm feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling. Like we're, yeah. we're connecting? We're connecting. Okay. Ready? Go. Box one at vistaprint.com. That's wrong. 100% of our listeners surveyed say they listen to podcasts. That's a lot. This is The Box of Oddities. All right. What you got for me? What you got for me? What you got for me? Let's talk about tree kangaroos. Tree kangaroos? I've not heard of such a thing. There are not many. Tree kangaroos are something that I did a little research on this week just because, and then I thought, these little nuggets are just odd enough to make it into the podcast. So, tree kangaroos are marsupials of the genus Dengralis, adapted for, and this is my new favorite phrase in the whole wide world, arboreal locomotion. <laughs> no, that's just fun to say. Yeah. And now I have substitutionary locomotion stuck in my head, but instead I changed it to arboreal locomotion. It doesn't move as well, but I I think that Angela Lansbury would approve. <laughs> so tree kangaroos live in lowland and mountainous rainforests in Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, and the far north of Queensland, Australia. By the way, Papua New Guinea where we were talking at one point your ancestors were from, according to your DNA. We were led to believe that you were an ancestor of, of a cannibal, mm -hmm. of cannibals. And now your new updated DNA right. testing came in and said, that's not true, so I'm horribly disappointed. That's right. I I'm got an email and it said, you can tell your husband that you are not an ancestor of cannibals and he can stop telling people that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So, I haven't seen this. I, okay. You, many you just made that up. Many tree kangaroo species are incredibly rare. You made it up. And most are decreasing in numbers. 
These animals represent an interesting divergence in the evolution of macropods. So that's the family of marsupials that includes kangaroos and wallabies. So macropods were once all tree dwellers, but millions of years ago, they descended from trees and and ended up living on the ground. Okay. In the cutest way possible. The ancestors of the tree kangaroos eventually headed back up into the foliage, and they are now the largest tree-dwelling mammals in Australia. How big are these guys? That's what we're going to talk about. Because are they regular-sized kangaroos? Because that would freak me out. We're going to discuss this. Walking all around the outback. We have a lot of listeners in Australia, by the way. Uh-huh. I want to know if you've ever seen kangaroos in a tree or if Kat's just making this up. It's not quite the same. They're slightly different. We're going to discuss it. Sorry. You need to be better about interrupting Sorry. me. Okay. So tree kangaroos have shorter legs and stronger forelimbs for climbing. Compared to terrestrial kangaroos, tree kangaroos have longer and broader hind feet with longer curved nails. They also have kind of a spongy um, foot bottom. It's almost like they've got rubberized feet so that they can grab on to, oh, wow. to trees. They probably would make better boxers than regular kangaroos, too. Yes, though they don't want to box you. How do you know this? Though I have seen them do some incredible boxing. Mm. I'm just saying they want to do their thing, leave them alone. Maybe they're great boxers. I'm not saying that they're not great boxers. What I'm saying is leave kangaroos alone unless they're chasing after your dog. I've seen that video. It's terrifying. Sometimes it's the only way street kangaroos can make a living. Do you remember that movie, Far and Away? Yeah. I loved that movie. Anyway, tree kangaroos have a much longer tail than terrestrial kangaroos, so that gives them enhanced balance while moving about the trees. They look like a combination of, prepare yourself, a kangaroo and a lemur and a bear and a monkey and a koala. So it's kind of like a koala, koala, koala rubber mer key. Are they vicious? No. Because it sounds like I'd really want to cuddle one. I don't. I just don't want him to like disembowel me. No, that's a good, it's a good concern. Yeah. Um, do you think if I say that they are not vicious, you'll continue on a trek to attempt to cuddle one? Probably. They're very vicious. Okay. Yeah. I won't be cuddling them then. There's at least 14 known subspecies of tree kangaroo uh, living in Papua New Guinea and Australia. The Lumholtz tree kangaroo is the smallest of all the tree kangaroos. Its body and head length. Dang it, I meant to convert this before I started doing this and I totally forgot. With your centimeters and your... For those of you listening overseas, the closest we've come to metric conversion here in the States is we have two liter bottles of Coke. Beyond the measurement of two liters, we have no concept of the metric system. Why is that, by the way? We're lazy. No, I mean the Coke thing. I don't know. I remember as a kid, they were saying metric systems coming. Better get used to it. Is that about the same time that two liter bottles of Coke became popular? Pretty close. Yeah. Also ties in really nicely with the... Uh, increasing obesity in America. Yes. Works out great. Do you need more soda to bring home with you? Or pop, depending on what part of the country you live in. Hey, Aunt Linda. She's from Michigan. They drink pop. The tree kangaroo, uh, the Lumholtz tree kangaroo, its tail is about 25 inches 
long. That's about 60 to 74 centimeters, with males weighing an average of 16 pounds and females weighing an average of 13 pounds. So those are the smallest. Okay. The Doria's tree kangaroo was one of the largest tree kangaroo species. I really did intend to convert this before, and I'm sorry. They weigh about 20 pounds. So about as much as Willie and Banjo. Well, Willie, Banjo weighs 28 pounds. He's a big fat pug. He is a big fat pug. Yeah, so it's like a uh, it's like a lemur kangaroo pug. Gotcha. And I can't cuddle it? No. Because it will disembowel me. Right. Also, it doesn't want to cuddle you. Leave it alone. Doesn't want to box, doesn't want to cuddle. No. What kind of a kangaroo is this? I'm just saying, leave wild animals alone. They're not for you. Killjoy. Tree kangaroos inhabit the tropical rainforests of New Guinea, far northeastern Australia, and some of the islands in the region in particular of the uh, Shoten Islands and the Raja Ampat Islands. I am sorry if you live there because I just butchered your land's name. Although most species are found in mountainous areas, several also occur in lowlands, such as the aptly named lowlands tree kangaroo. So tree kangaroos don't move so well on the ground. They're pretty slow. They're pretty clumsy. They move at approximately human walking pace and hop awkwardly, leaning their body far forward to balance out their heavy tail. However, in trees, they're bold. They're agile. They climb by wrapping their forelimbs around the trunk of a tree and while allowing the forelimbs to slide, hop up the tree using their powerful hind legs. Oh my God, I want to see that so bad. I have a video for you. They're expert leapers. They can jump downward from a tree up to 60 feet, no injuries. What? Yeah. No. They're so amazing. They can jump like nobody's business. That's incredible. So convert 60 feet to meters. 18. Okay. Here's an interesting thing that I actually didn't know about any sort of kangaroos, let alone tree kangaroos. They don't sweat to cool their bodies, but they don't pant like dogs do, which is pretty much the extent of how I know animals cool themselves. So what they do is they lick their forearms and allow the moisture to evaporate. That's how they thermoregulate. They're all like, ah, 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 ah. <sighs> I'm so glad we don't have to do that as human beings. Right? It's like, <laughs> you're at a sporting event. And you're yeah. like, oh, man, it is hot. You remember that time we went to see the Sox spring training game? Red Sox down in Fort Myers. When we almost Florida. died? Yeah. It was like a million degrees. Yeah. And then you heard our, our neighbor fart, but that's not the point. Um, so we would be there. We'd be like, go socks. This is amazing. Uh, let's get a crazy price beer. But in the meantime, uh, 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 lick my forearm. Oh, I'm dying. <laughs> Will you lick my arm and blow on it, please? Thank you. Remember I said that to a stranger? That was awkward. <laughs> yeah. But then we got pizza at the, I don't remember what it was called, but it was really good pizza. (laughs) Where was I? One of the tree kangaroo species is called the matchies. Matchies. They're very quiet, but they have an amazing way of communicating. So they communicate via visual display. They show their fellow tree kangaroos what's up. They also communicate via touch. Some vocalization, but most importantly, through chemical cues. 
they communicate in all the ways that, that animals communicate. It's, it's pretty intense. Here's where it gets super sad. Most tree kangaroos are considered threatened due to hunting and habitat destruction. Tree kangaroo habitats are being destroyed or replaced by logging and timber production, along with coffee, rice, and wheat production, and that habitat loss can make them exposed to predators such as domestic dogs. It's one Mm. of the, the biggest threats is getting hit by vehicles and domestic dogs. The the Wandi Wowie. You just made that up. Wowie. Wandi Wowie. The Dendrologus Mayari is a mammal species in the genus Dendrologus, also known as the Wandi Wowie tree up. kangaroo. You're just making up words. You're talking gibberish now. I can't even find a place that it can help me pronounce it because I knew I was going to have a hard time with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, though I will say, I'm not a news anchor. Okay, I'm not a news source for you. I I can't be expected to pronounce everything right. So this Wandi Wooey, um, there was a single specimen collected in 1928, and the only known specimen was a male weighing about 20 pounds or 9.25 kilograms, and it was located in the Wandi Wooey Peninsula of Papua New Guinea. Uh huh. This animal was thought to be extinct since 1928. And this year, July of 2018, there was a photograph taken of the species by uh, British naturalist Michael Smith. Smith was investigating an unexplored area of the Wandi Wowie mm-hmm. ranges sure. and photographed this type of tree kangaroo at an altitude of about 1,600 meters. And it's the first time that there have been any documentations of this particular species since 1928. That's amazing. It's so amazing. And it's um, actually a, a type of animal that this has happened with more than once. In the 90s, there was a, a species found that they thought right. was extinct and and turned out not to be. The, the point... Being not that, hey, there's a bunch of them and we just didn't know about it. The point being that they are so endangered that we don't see them. Mm. And like, like Sasquatch. What? Yeah, just like that. Except they have been documented and we know that they exist and they're real. It's only a matter of time. So there, it's, it's a critical situation for almost every subspecies of tree kangaroo. And there's a lot of information about how you can help in saving the tree kangaroo or at least raising awareness about the tree kangaroo at the World Wildlife Federation website. And it's important because they're amazing and there aren't a lot left. Not like Sasquatch. We don't know how many Sasquatches there are. Is that Squatch Eye? Sasquatchy? Sasquatchy. Amazing. Fascinating. We got to get to Australia. Yes, please. We've already had about five invitations to stay in people's houses there. I want to see all the things. There are birds in Australia that I don't, I can't, my brain won't even see. Because you've never seen them before. Yep. Because my tiny, stupid brain is so unfamiliar with something so extraordinary. Um, and I know to, to some people, they would seem so everyday. Like, you know, we would be like, uh, yeah, it's a squirrel. 
uh, get over it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would be, you know, I'm going to lose my mind when we go to Australia. We're going to have to allow at least three days for my brain to like settle down before I can do anything outside of just go, oh my God, look at that. Look, did you see it? Look at the bird. Look at it. And then I'll probably just flop around on the ground for a little while, but then I'll be okay. (laughs) I very much look forward to seeing all of that (laughs) and a boxing kangaroo. (laughs) The box of oddities floats from the sky twice a week and lands softly on your phone. Like a gentle breeze. Like a gentle breeze from a mountain meadow, wafting quietly into your cranium. Or you just, you know, fucking download us, whatever works for you. We look forward to seeing you again, my freak family. Thank you so much for being amazing. We'll see you Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The box of oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.